Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Maybe I should welcome myself back. Oh my gosh, I have been gone for so long. Been doing uh, the Lord's work. Yeah, I love it. And, um, you know, just basic work, right? Of like caring for our brothers and sisters who were impacted by Hurricane Ian. I have been in Florida um, assisting with hurricane relief efforts through my new favorite organization, or one of them rather, which is Samaritan's Purse. It is my first deployment and probably not my last with that wonderful, uh, wonderfully well-oiled machine uh, called Samaritan's Purse that goes out and does a lot of good across the globe. But uh, primarily, you know, the, the work is the practical application of the gospel, which ultimately opens the door to be able to introduce the good news of the gospel of Christ. Right. And so it's amazing how whenever people are, their entire lives have been literally blown away or floated away in a, in a, in the ocean or, you know, in a, in a tornado, riverbed, whatever. Um, you know, the thought of a savior, of a, of a spiritual friend, someone who's bigger, uh, than they are, who hears them and sees them and can comfort them and provide for them. Uh, whenever people show up in the way of hands and feet and hearts and minds, that is exactly what brings people hope. So hats off to Samaritan's Purse. It was my honor to be a part of that deployment. I learned a lot about myself, about others, about crises uh, that I, you know, I've always been um, more of a crisis-centered person in terms of, you know, remaining calm, uh, keeping everyone else calm. Um, yeah, so that crisis is kind of my wheelhouse, if you will, and uh, mitigating, managing, preemptive, you know, in the middle, emergency, medicine, you name it. Um, that's something that, for whatever reason, I am wired uh, to be able to engage and, and do so. I will say... One of the things that was very surprising was just how much of that um, physical um, engagement I did not anticipate in terms of what I brought home with me, right? And so I I want to hit on a couple of things today. I'm not going to keep you long at all, Um, but I think it's really important for people of faith to recognize that we are more than spiritual beings, while we are, in fact, spiritual beings having a human experience, right, a physical experience, many times in the church I find that people are deathly afraid of their own physiology, primarily beginning with their sexuality, but also emotions, right? Emotions are... um can be of the devil, according to some folks in in the church. And when they're not, when you're led by your emotions, right? I talk about this in my book, When Jesus Isn't Enough. Uh, you can part, you can purchase that at Amazon, also my website, monicamatthews.com. Uh, great download, especially for single women um, and men, believe it or not, and married folks. It, it tends to minister across the board, but I wrote it in my widowhood, uh, which I'm still living, and I wrote it in a in a time in my life when 
um, I was reconnecting to my faith. And, um, and it's, you know, it's very sober minded. It's also very much, Hey ladies, you have to get honest about how we were created and in our liabilities and our strengths, right? Our assets and our liabilities. And while emotions can be a liability, they, you know, our father, our creator has emotions. He's not in self-denial, right? The word says he's a jealous God. He's also an angry God whenever it comes to sin and um, and injustice, right? When I say angry God and sin, I hope that doesn't immediately invoke a sense of guilt, shame. Oh my gosh, I knew it. He hates me. He's out to get me. He's counting my sins. No, that's not what that means. What I mean is injustice is what angers him. And in the injustice of sin and what it does to the human soul in keeping the human being, uh, the spiritual human being away from their spiritual creator, um, that is something that would anger any good parent. Right? I don't know about you, but when my daughter is in a situation where she's just completely in rebellion um, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a, chasm between us, if you will, because she knows she's in rebellion. This is in her younger years primarily, but she knows she's in rebellion and I'm angry because I can't reach her. There's something else that has her attention. And so I'm jealous for my relationship with my daughter, but in a healthy way, not some psycho mom, you know, what was the name of that movie? I don't know. I've got like, what is it? Sybil. I don't know, Mommy Dearest, that too. Uh, Mommy Dearest, right? Where she's just jealous and wackadoo psycho. And so, no, it's not like that. It's that you're jealous for your child to be healthy, to be happy, to be whole. And whenever you see things that are not good for your children, that are pining for their attention, they are molesting their emotions. They are taking them down roads that you know for a fact are ultimately going to lead to their destruction. It provokes a love and a loving sense of righteous uh, anger, indignation, jealousy, uh, because you want the best for them. This isn't a, a, a human possessive type of emotion. This is, you know, where our spiritual, our heavenly father is spiritually uh, possessive of us, even though we do have a free will, but in the sense that he bought us. When you buy something, especially under a covenant, you're in possession of that thing. So think about that. And we do still have free will, although I believe to an extent, because I go back and read Exodus where Pharaoh clearly thought he had his own free will. And our father was like, yeah, well, the frogs don't do it and the bloody water doesn't do it and killing your firstborn doesn't do it. You know, I know you keep wanting to let him go, but I'm going to prove that I am that I am. And I'm going to do that by hardening your heart, which you think is your own, and that I can't uh, maneuver and manipulate. I can't maneuver around, right? He's our manufacturer. The manufacturer knows exactly how something is designed. Keep that in mind. So I digress. But when it comes to emotions, right? Women tend to uh, get accused of living in their emotions when what I have found um, is that men uh, do as, as can as well. And, and really what I found on the ground in the midst of this crisis, uh, most of the tears were being shed by 
men. And I loved it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because for a man to to receive, to be able to receive assistance from anyone, when they are at their literally most vulnerable, their homes have blown in half, they have nothing, um, not even a tent under which to protect their families, right? Their power's out. The water's gone. They don't have toilet paper. They don't know how they're going to rebuild. Their insurance carrier is now insolvent. I mean, very real issues, right? They're sick. Their spouses are sick. And they look and they're trying to fend off, you know, ward off looters. I mean, all these things that are very basic and primal for created men and how men function and how they think and how they operate. Their operating systems are different from women, and that's okay. It's something to be celebrated. I love it. But I saw a very vulnerable side to men that was, it, it had an impact on me. It did. And then being around that environment of chaos that's literally in the atmosphere, it's in the atmospheric system. And so as created beings, we are fooling ourselves at best, neglecting and denying parts of ourselves that are very important. And especially for you guys to realize in this hurricane of politics and midterms and nuclear war and rumors of wars and wars, um, all of this madness, an uptick in crime, you can't afford food, gas, you know, very basic uh, needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs are not being met. They're in jeopardy. And um, so it's, in, it's important to stop and really take inventory of, of what is going on around you and what are you taking into your bodies, right? And, and excuse me, and how do you expel that? How do you, good grief, I'm having a moment over here. How do you expel that? How, how do you contend with that? You know, some people hit their knees and, and they're, you know, it's like, well, prayer does it for me. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And prayer absolutely moves mountains. It can heal. It facilitates uh, movement in the heavenlies. I mean, that's our power. That's that is that is our. Those are our weapons of war. That are not carnal. Amen. Those are our spiritual weapons of war on our knees or on our couches, on your toilet, wherever it is that, you know, you are hit with. And I don't mean that disrespectfully at all. If you're in your car, pray without ceasing means, you know, your mind is always on um, things of above while you are facilitating and living a practical human life. And you can do both. So it's important to acknowledge that we do have emotions. It's also important to process those emotions and to take them to the Father and to take them to counsel and take them to ministers and people who can minister to your um, aches and pains on a soul level and a physical level, which is exactly what I did once I returned. And I recognized that I was spontaneously bursting into tears and I couldn't figure out why. And I've been through an enormous amount of trauma throughout my life starting at a very young age. I've seen things in emergency rooms, pediatric, you know, PZR that most people will never see. Um, you know, I've stumbled upon awful traumatic events, grotesque uh, traumatic events in the way of um, accidents in the middle of an interstate, you know, just things that I will never be able to get out of my mind. 
um, but how I respond to them, how my body processes it. Um, you know, I, I remember I, <laughs> the first time I saw an accident like that, it took me about 25 minutes to maybe closer to an hour to where I, I started shaking uncontrollably because what my, my eyes saw and what my brain registered, it, there was a great disconnect and my body took that in and I started shaking uncontrollably and, and I was in a bit of shock. Like I was just a mental and physical shock as, as to what I had just seen. And it was so grotesque that I'm not going to take you through it because I don't want to defile you. And, and that's why it's so important to pay attention to what you're watching and to whom you're listening, right? Because it's these leave soul impressions. And this is the time of year when everybody loves to be spooky, Everybody wants to sit up and watch Jeffrey Dahmer movies, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, that does have an effect on you, but, um, and a physical effect, especially on your little people, you wonder why they want, they want to come crash in your bed every night. Well, what are you letting them watch and listen to and to whom, you know, their bodies are sponges, our bodies are sponges. So I was all that to say, I was very surprised by my physical response to being around that atmosphere of chaos. And it was not only an atmospheric in the way of atmospheric as in weather, right? But it, but it was also in the, in the, in the fallout of what was left behind by Hurricane Ian. It was also precipitated by the chaos that ensued due to looters and panhandlers and people who were racing to defraud other people who I encountered on interstate I-75 in the city of Tampa. I mean, it was, it was, it was literally like Mad Max world. It was crazy. It was like the night of the purge uh, in downtown Tampa, the night I arrived and I just got the heck out of there. I was like, yeah, I mean, I would, I would have been, I was, I'd made up my mind. I was resolved to sleep in a secured rest area off in a corner with my weapons, of course, if I needed to, because I, I decided not to stay in the hotel in downtown Tampa. I was booked for because it was nuts. It was crazy. People drunk driving up and down the roads, running into people. I witnessed a head on collision right next to my gas tank. I mean, it was right next to pumping gas. I mean, it was, it, it was in you. If you're sensitive to those things, you feel it in the atmosphere. And so I went on about my business and just, you know, I'm in like battle mode at that point. And then, you know, I was in a new environment, new people. Again, I never deployed with Samaritan's Purse. I had no idea. We were told we wouldn't have water. We may not have electricity, although we did. Thankfully, they come very prepared. And we had potable water. We had, uh, you know, a, a uh, industrial size generator. You know, I mean, we were, we were self-contained and we were safe. We were cared for. We had the gospel. We had each other. We had food. We had, you know, a cot and, and a place to huddle up together and minister to one another at, at the beginning and the end of our days. Um, and the beautiful part of it was that we ministered to people we'd never met before just by tarping their homes, mudding, you know, mudding out, uh, you know, homes and in ministering to people in their front yards who just men who just collapsed in tears. And not because of the devastation as much as they could not believe the level of humanity they were experiencing through this organization. They were overwhelmed. And when you got to, got to know them, what you began to realize was that 
there were underlying reasons they they didn't feel worthy of that level of humanity. And some of you struggle with that. May, and men primarily, and usually men who have served in the military in some capacity, who have seen atrocities, who have, you know, partaken in, you know, what war requires, taking of lives, uh, you, you know, being bearing witness to that as well. Um, and, and they come back from those battlefields and they don't come back whole. And there's something that tells them they're not worthy of joy. They're not worthy of compassion. They're not worthy of love. They're not worthy of forgiveness. They're not worthy of eternity anymore. They're not worthy of community and a loving wife and healthy children um, who love them as well. They're not worthy of, you know, a steady uh, income. They're not worthy of living sober. Um, They're not worthy of assistance from other people. And you see that emerge when someone has just been completely mowed over by something like a hurricane. Really fascinating. So I took in a lot of things and I'm trained not to do that as a minister. And when I'm in an environment, which I'm, I'm, I know I'm safe. I know I'm, 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 um, protected, if you will, by, by, by a system that's been put up by an actual, uh, church building, you know, by a particular ministry I'm familiar with, you know, I, when you come to me, I am, I'm in my, I'm in my trained mindset of, okay, we're meeting on this battlescape because I'm battling for your soul. Um, and you are too, right. And I'm not trained to take in your stuff or take it on. As soon as I get up from my chair, I leave you to the Lord. Matter of fact, I I bring you, I'm like, come on, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit here and let's work this thing out with this person. And once I get up from my chair, before you get up from your chair across from me, I have released you. I do not carry those things. I can't even tell, well, I can tell you some of the stories, but I don't have an emotion around it because it wasn't traumatic to me because I had a guard up around my mind and my soul. But when you're in a position where you're unfamiliar and you're in new territory and you don't know if looters are going to come for your uh, sanctuary, you don't know if they're going to come for your food, for your sexuality, for your life, you have no idea what's out there in the middle of Florida swampland with no electricity or water, right? I didn't know these people. I mean, love the Grams, but I, I don't know them personally and I don't know who's on my team. And so I'm already in like high alert lizard brain. Uh, and I'm, you know, <laughs> so I took a lot of that in because I wasn't, I just wasn't prepared. My guards were down in a physiological and a psychological way. So why am I sharing all this with you? Because I was on Wayne Dupree's show today. If you don't follow Wayne, I would encourage you to do so and contribute to his work as well. He is a uh, veteran. He is wonderful. He's a conservative, even though, uh, and he happens to be black. I'll throw that in there because we joke about it. Um, But Wayne has a great following. He's had a great career. He's got an award-winning podcast. Just a fantastic gentleman. And um, comes from a family of pastors, you know, and he's very candid in his approach to uh, you know, connecting with his audience, as am I. Um, and he invited me onto a show today. I was very honored to be there. And we were talking about the midterms. And 
can we expect anything different to come out of a successful midterm in terms of, you know, taking a uh, a large majority of seats in the in our Congress as Republicans or even a small uh, majority of seats? And could we expect something different? And I said, well, the truth is, I'm looking at things more um, nonpartisan in the way of. I see the GOP as a fundraising machine, as is the DNC. And really, neither party has anyone's best interest at heart. And so it takes people and visionaries and and leaders and folks who are connected spiritually to our creator and our author and finisher of our faith and our freedom and justice to understand and really get the 50,000-foot view of what is really happening and what moves people, what mobilizes folks, and what um, inspires them and where what people really need, right? So the first thing I thought of was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you go to Google, which is totally bastardization of information, but if you go to Google and you type in Maslow hierarchy of needs, you're going to find... Uh, kind of like the food pyramid like there's several different uh, iterations <laughs> and they're really kind of funny to compare it's almost like reading the urban dictionary versus you know webster's of like you know the 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 original web the fifth edition of of webster's dictionary which i happen to have by the way because i got my hands on that sucker because our english language is hitting the toilet at rapid speed but and i love words so i'm going to go through them very quickly At the very bottom of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that was um, concocted by uh, uh, Abraham Maslow, okay, at the very bottom of these needs is something so basic, physiological needs in the way of air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction. Now, what's interesting about that is it, so the, the, the various levels have not changed, but what has been altered and what I, I dare declare is adulterated would be all of the subcategories in these respective categories on these layers of this pyramid. Okay, so for instance, I don't even know what the heck this means, but in some iterations of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, it will read air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, and um, excretion. What? (laughs) Like, what does that even mean? Okay, so you can imagine who thought it would be expedient to alter that reproduction is a physiological need. Air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction. Very interesting that the left has actually made a complete monetary system out of convincing a, a very small portion of the world that we're all, we are at liberty of running out of room on planet earth. Yeah. I mean, this is like Hank Johnson material, right? Like Guam's going to tip over stuff. This is the crap that Bill Gates perpetuates on really on people who are just not discerning. Right. And they think they're doing these things in the name of love. You know why? Because they worship the earth. They worship the created as opposed to the creator. So air. And yes, we should all be responsible with our planet. Undoubtedly, that and I'm a and I'm a conservative. I'm, you you heard me hesitate on Republican, right? Although I will vote Republican, but I'm far more of a conservative Christian as 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 that goes. Air very important. Clean water, 
you do realize there are people who do not have clean water or they have to walk miles for clean water. Food, basic physiological need. I love it when Americans talk about and Democrats talk about food deserts. What a joke. We're the most obese country in the world. But somehow we live in food deserts. And so in that, you know why? Because that sells. That sells campaigns. That sells for donations. That sells for votes. It sells for sympathy. It sells for people who don't understand that gluttony really is a sin. Okay, shelter. Okay, oh, and by the way, the, what's really interesting and diabolical about that food aspect is that if you look at what uh, our poor people eat, on food stamps, they've just now started incorporating things like organic uh, foods that they can purchase. But historically speaking, it has been crap. It has been crap food. It's been pretty bad. Shelter, right? This is a basic physiological need. Shelter. How many homeless encampments do we have across the uh, glo- across the country right now? I live in Atlanta. We've got a ton of them, and it's growing daily. And they're shipping people around. Right. And there's no way that anyone can absorb all of those people in in their in their respective economies of of, of a tax digest. You can't. You you cannot absorb fast enough the homeless numbers that are growing across the country. How about sleep? How many of you lose sleep? Why? Because you're worried about wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of things. Your ability to feed your family. Are you gonna lose your job? What about the vaccine mandates that people are still suffering through, by the way? right? There are many things robbing you of your sleep. Thankfully, I'm not one of those people that has that problem, but uh, clothing. Clothing is a physiological need. Do you, are you clothed? Can you clothe your children for school? You know, do you have what it takes to stay warm coming up? Uh, reproduction, right? And the left has completely taken that and run with it, but so has the right. Now, the right is, is, has gone completely all the way to the other side where it's like, oh, we're going to make all abortions illegal. Well, that's, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. And you're going to have women going, um, well, you're going to have states doing what California is doing right now, which is, you know, bussing people in for, uh, to practice, you know, a, a quote, abortion care whatever that means. But, you know, when you're dealing with a woman who has been raped or whose father or uncle or brother has impregnated her, um, that should not, that should not automatically mean that she carries that child. She chooses to carry that child. That's just my humble opinion. And I'm not in favor of abortion. I'm not, but I also have ministered to women who have gone through this. Now I will also say I've ministered to women who decided to keep their children and they have never been happier. And you know why? Because our father can redeem literally anything and anyone and any situation. And you know how I know that? Because there's story after story after story after story in that great book called The Bible. A complete and total redemption and restoration of people where you go, what the? Why did you say that guy? Right, We need to be looking in our own mirrors, questioning that about ourselves. But all that to say, I've, seen, I've, I've actually come in contact with people and worked alongside uh, folks who were products of rape. And they have forgiven their, uh, their biological fathers, and they're very grateful to their mothers for giving them life. I also understand the need for a woman to be able to make that choice. I just feel like the church should be there to minister to a woman in a time of crisis of that magnitude to minister hope. 
minister hope, minister testimonies, and allow her to make the decision. She should be ministered to in the way of informed consent. What is this going to do to her body? What will it do to her mind long term? You know, the and I'm not giving the rapist a pass. That's that's not where I'm going with this at all. But we're talking about people being well informed, right? And people receiving the truth and then making the decision for themselves. But we've gone way off the deep end. And so so the left went way off the deep end with, you know, hey, well, we're just gonna abort folks up to uh up to birth. And now apparently some states talking about twenty eight days after birth. I mean, any other civilization that's called murder. So, but here we are, right? And so physiological needs, reproduction, or now we're castrating our, our little boys and we're mutilating the genitalia of our girls and wrecking the reproductive system. Why? Because we're creating an androgynous society. Why? I believe because we're ushering in artificial intelligence uh, at the speed of light. And that to me goes way back to the roots of Satan saying, ha ha, jokes on you. I will exalt my throne above yours. And our father saying, yeah, I don't think so. And so here's how this is going to go. You're going to get an allotted period of time to act a fool and do your thing. And so good luck. In the meantime, I'm going to kick you and the third that you campaigned out of my house and out of my kingdom. And uh, you're during this period of time in these different dispensations, this is what's going to go down. And ultimately I'm going to send myself in the way of my son by way of my Holy spirit down there to collect everything that is mine in creation. I mean, that's a, that's a good deal. Right. But ultimately, we're not going to have an ultimate reconciliation. So you're not going to see Lucifer restore Satan, restored to Lucifer and this bright, wonderful thing. And Lucifer, by the way, and Christ are not the same person. Sorry to those of you who bought into that book. Um, safety needs. This is next on the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Safety needs, personal security. How many of you feel safe? How many of you feel safe in your own homes? In your own head, let's start there. How many of you feel safe with your own emotions in your own head, your own thoughts? Then how many of you feel safe in your own home with your spouses? How many of you feel safe in your own communities, your neighborhood, your apartment buildings, whatever, your cities, your counties, your states, this country? Borders are down. How many people feel safe? 2.5 million illegal aliens. And we know for sure uh, aliens as in people. I don't mean any uh, disparity with, or disparity with that. Um disparity. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I don't mean anything negative by that, but they are what they are. They're humans and they are illegally in our nation. That is a fact to the tune of millions. I think now we're up to like 30 million. Um, and so just 2.5 million, I believe have come across already, if not more have come across already this year. So that's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because we cannot absorb that many people into our economy. Also, we have very bad actors who have been, uh, you know, uh, deployed into our nation, into various systems who have come through those open borders. Okay, safety needs, employment. I mean, think about how many of you have no idea whether or not you're going to have a job tomorrow. Much less your 401k, which is a great segue into MonicaProtectsWithGold.com. Cannot encourage it enough. I see hundreds of you going every day to click on that link and you're getting phone calls and you're getting an education and you're going to have informed consent around how not to continue to lose your 401k, your savings, your Roth IRAs, none of that uh, at the hands of this rogue despot um, totalitarian regime that we're dealing with right now. 
And every single expert I've spoken with, and this is not financial advice, but every single uh, financial expert I've listened to, I've consulted with, uh, they've been in my spaces, you name it, they're all finally getting honest about the condition we find ourselves in now and, and that it's not going to get better. I have friends who have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars down to tens of thousands of dollars in their 401ks who are at or just approaching or just beyond retirement age. And if you think you're going to be able to rebound and recover, I would suggest to you that I think that that is misplaced hope. That is not a strategy. But hedging your hard-earned income is absolutely a strategy worth looking into. So Monica protects with gold.com. So employment resources, right? Resources, your, your, your money, your bank account. Cat turd was just canceled by bank of America just last night. Okay. That those are his resources. So what does he say? That's with his professional account. Kanye West canceled by chase. So what does that tell you? They're coming for you. I mean, they're taking out big accounts. They're coming for you as well. We already know that. We already know that the feds have basically illegally spied on millions of accounts uh, in this country over the past 24 months. Yep, and it could and may may actually include your account. Um, Health, safety needs, your health, right? What have they been uh, abusing? What have they been uh, lobbing darts at for the past two years? COVID, 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 COVID. Get your vaccine, get your vaccine. And now we just you know, heard from Pfizer's Yahoo the other day that they um, knew that this was not going to uh, have any level of efficacy with stopping the transmission of COVID. Their injections were not intended for the um, for the eradication of the transmission and proliferation of COVID nineteen that came out of her face. So your health is under assault, right? Whether you're vaccinated, double vaxxed, boosted, uh, wh- whatever it is, or you know you have not been vaccinated and you wonder what's coming next. Is it going to be the monkey herpes part two? You know what's going on property. Safety needs, of course. So what do they do? They talk to you about, you know, how many people, BlackRock, buying buying up, you know, property, Bill Gates, across, uh, across the Chinese, the CCP, across the country, property. Some of you can't afford your mortgages right now. There's an entire generation of my daughter's age who cannot afford their first home and probably won't. And they're being sold this bill of goods that it's better to just be socialist and put all of your stuff, because Jesus did, um, put all of your, which is a lie, put all of your stuff, not in that manner, put all of your stuff in, you know, in the big pot and just redistribute it. And damn the rich person because we should just redistribute wealth. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what that is, is the government um, wanting to facilitate your second level of safety needs. Your, seven, your second level of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is safety. Uh, the third level up is love and belonging. Friendship, intimacy, family, sense of connection. What do they do with six feet apart? Ripped it. Every single bit of that. Right? Sense of connection. Well, why do you think most of your kids don't know who they are from one moment to the next? Because they're disconnected and they're disembodied, quite literally. That is a physiological medical term. They're being disembodied. They're they're really being conditioned for disassociative behavior, but really disembodied 
from who they were created to be biologically because maybe they just they're buying into the tropes and the narratives and all the things coming out of the CCP Shycom TikTok world. Uh, they believe it. And you have an entire industrial complex called the LGBTQ plus industrial complex that is hell bent. It is a corporate cabal that is hell bent on uh, destruction of the family unit, very Marxist move, just like BLM, destruction of the of the family unit. And why? Why is all of this occurring? This isn't partisan. This is demonic. This is good versus evil. This is freedom versus oppression. It's really simple. I am not espousing or parroting Republican um uh, you know, thought patterns. That, that's not what I'm doing. These are not just taglines. These are not tropes. This is absolutely true. This is what's happening, okay? Esteem, respect, self-esteem. This is the next level on the hierarchy of needs, uh, the next level up. Uh, respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, freedom. And listen, all this is really important. You know why? Because if politics is downhill from society, um, this is very important. Right now, politics is attempting to exalt itself above you. Government is attempting to exalt itself above you. A God-created and authored, inspired, and breathed into autonomous individual with inalienable rights that man cannot give to you and man should not be able to take away from you, right? Because they're God-given rights. That's part of our Constitution. And so it's important to wipe this, uh, this, this pyramid of needs out so that you become uh, basically a ward of the state on every level, which ultimately makes you a ward of Satan's kingdom. Really is just that simple. So esteem, respect, self-esteem, status, see status is bad, right? And there's no self-esteem. It's collective esteem. This is called collectivism. This is called homogenization. So you're not allowed to have respect for yourself, your country, your state, your flag, the color of your skin. Uh, You're not allowed to esteem your culture. I'm not suggesting that you esteem one culture or skin color over another. On the contrary, I'm suggesting that we're all created equal. But you can have a love of, of your culture, of your ethnicity, of your state, of your state's history without being a white supremacist, without being a bigot. There are many great people. You know, when President Trump, God bless him, oh my God, when he said this, I was like, yep, that did it. He stepped in it, and he's never going to get that dog poo off of his shoe. And he never has, and he never will. When he spoke on Charlottesville, and I heard it in real time, and I wanted to crawl under my 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 studio desk at the station I was on. I was actually on the air at the time, and he said, <laughs> you know, there. I'm sure there were some fine people in that crowd. Right. In the meantime, you've got like a total, total honeypot, just false flag moment going on in Charlottesville and feds galore. And, you know, you can't really tell who's who's a fed and who's not, which is how it is. And uh, but he wasn't wrong. There were probably some decent people in that crowd because there are decent people in every crowd. But he has never lived that down, nor will he. So, again, it's not about supremacy because there's only one supreme being, and it's not us. It's not created man or woman. It is the creator, period. 
So, but it should be okay for you to respect and have self-esteem and self, I'm sorry, self-esteem and self-respect for your respective uh, cultures. How about status? You're not allowed to have status either. But the word tells you, you know, that the Proverbs 31 woman, well, her husband is esteemed in the city gates. He's esteemed among the council. Well, what does that tell you? He's a man of honor. So see, you're not allowed to have honor either because again, this is about homogenization. So status is important. And, and status should never be um, to the exclusion or, or exercising, you know, bad, bad behavior. I'll use slavery as an example. You know, you're the plantation owner and, uh, and you own other people. Um, and, and it was legal at that time. But not only do you own them, but you abuse them. You murder them. You rape them. You rob them of their, God, their God-given identity. Yeah, that's not what this is about. So that type of status, or as the elites, whether you're Democrat or Republican, um, with an intent in your soul because you're so morally depraved and reprobate that you're looking forward to um, abolishing the rights of others so that you can maintain your status. Yep, that's not what we're talking about here. So recognition. We certainly have a lot of that going on, but you can't even be recognized anymore for your achievements because everyone gets a trophy. So if you're recognized for doing well, then that's just part of your white privilege. Or that's part of your um, uh, affirmative action privilege. It, It robs from everyone. This system that we're under right now robs from everyone. Right. And so I, there was a time when affirmative action was absolutely 1000% necessary because we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't play like mature boys and girls in our sandboxes, corporately speaking or otherwise. And so, yeah, absolutely. You, you had people who had to go to, but now I would like to think we live in a time when we didn't have to swing all the way over to diversity, exclusion, really, and, and inclusion and equity. Equity. We live in the era of equity, which is in direct opposition to love, by the way. If you're trying to live in an equitable relationship or marriage, good luck with that. You should go ahead and put your attorney's number on speed dial um, because there's nothing equitable about a marriage. It's called love. And love is filled with self-sacrifice, not count, not keeping score. Strength, part of this esteem block of the pyramid is strength. Well, they got to keep you weak in every possible way, emotionally, mentally, physically, financially, nationally, right? Legally. So strength in, in whether it's strength of mind, resolve, strength in your health, all of this is being attacked. Ha. Huh. And the last one, but certainly not, not least in esteem is freedom. There's esteem that comes with freedom and freedom comes with esteem, right? They're completely interlaced. And what do we see happening right now with our freedoms? Not just Republicans. Every bit of this is going to affect all Americans, right? And at the very top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in closing is self-actualization. And what does that mean? The desire to become the most that one can be. The desire to become the most that one can be. And I'm sharing all of this with you because I love you. You are my audience and you are my family that I have been entrusted uh, to speak into your hearts and into your ears and into your minds, right? And ultimately, I'm hoping that that will be for the betterment of your 
your life in your own mirror, your families, your generations, your cities, your counties, your towns, um, your states in our country, and this world, right? This the, the international landscape is just as important as our ability to live according to these hierarchy of needs. I mean, you see the women of Iran right now who are um, fighting for their lives, fighting for their freedom, fighting for every bit of this, fighting for their personal autonomy, right? So as you go into the midterms, please keep first things first. Make sure that you're taking care of your Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And whenever you go into a, bo- a, a booth to vote, or if you're going you're gonna to cast that ballot, absentee or in person, keep this in mind. Are your candidates going to act in such a way and govern in such a way uh, to, uh, to benefit, you know, facilitate these needs for all Americans? Please keep that in mind. And I will be back with you tomorrow, tomorrow. And uh, yeah, we'll close out the week. Have a good conversation. You can catch my segment. I was actually on the entire show with Wayne today and Hutch, his partner in political crime. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, On Rumble. So you can find that on his station. Um, It's all on his channel, rather. I also have it up on my Twitter handle. So in the meantime, be good to your neighbor beginning in your own mirror. And remember, if you're an American, go to MonicaProtectsWithGold.com. 